You're listening to ayahuascapodcast.com. Hi guys and welcome to ayahuascapodcast.com. Today uh, we're joined by our new guest, Matthew Butler. Matthew is a veteran who has worked with uh, ayahuasca specifically um, to to get relief from his PTSD uh, symptoms. And uh, Matthew is now an advocate for ayahuasca in the veteran community. Matthew, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Uh, Matthew, um, so I spoke to you a little bit before uh, we started recording. Um, uh, can you tell a little bit about your story with um, with the U.S. military and um, what uh, what happened there and what brought you to Ayahuasca eventually? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, I joined the Army way back in 91. Um it was actually a couple of days before Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait the first time in the nineties. Um, so, uh, and I ended, ended up retiring in 2017. So I ended up doing 27 years total. Um, you know, I, I thought it was going to just be three years, but ultimately I, I ended up volunteering for uh, special forces or the green berets. So it was, um, I was in the green berets before nine 11 so about 20 years of my total 27 years was in the Green Berets and of that about 17 of it, you know, before I retired was during the war, the global war on terror. So I ended up with um, six deployments and uh, 42 months in combat. Um, when I retired in 2017, um, I describe it as uh, like an iceberg, you know, on the surface, everything looked good. I had a good job and a good house and good cars and all the things that you, you know, people tell you you're supposed to have. But under the surface, what was going on really was um, uh, bad alcoholism, um, some opioid abuse, um, lots of run-ins with the law. Um, I was getting in trouble, getting the cops called on me a lot. Um, lots of uh, suicidal ideation and depression. Uh, so yeah, like my, you know, full-blown PTSD, uh, but I tried to hide it pretty well. So I think, um, with veterans, especially there, there is no clear route in between, uh, let's say PTSD or depression, anxiety, and ayahuasca. Generally veterans seem to try and drink, drink their problems away. There's not much spirituality in that community. How did you end up, uh, uh going on the path of, uh, plant medicine? Yeah. Um, so in, in 2018, um, my father had me arrested. Uh, we got into an argument and, uh, it got physical. So, uh, he called the cops on me, which, uh, was, you know, maybe one of the best things he ever did for me. And I, I respect him for it now. Um, but yeah, so when I was sitting in that jail cell, you're right. Like the VA will tell you that, you know, there's no cure for PTSD. You, you just, you're going to have to live with, learn to live with these problems. And, you know, the easiest way to, to deal with it is, is through the alcohol, right? Cause by drinking, I can get numb enough to finally go to sleep. Um, so when I got arrested though, I was sitting in that jail cell and I was thinking, you know, like, like two big things came to me. Number one was 
I have a bigger problem than I'm admitting to. And number two, what I'm doing is not working because I'm doing all the things I'm being told to do, right? Like I'm on antidepressants and going to therapy and meeting with groups and going to A and, and doing all the things, but nothing worked. So I had to find a different route. So the first thing I did when I got out was really started to study PTSD and, and look for cures. And the one thing that kept coming up for me was, was ayahuasca. So, um, you know, I, I was talking to people about it and trying to, trying to find a way to connect with it. Um, so I had a friend who, um, introduced me to, uh, who was in this space and, uh, he, uh, asked me to, um, come with him to Columbia. So I, I went to Columbia, my, uh, to drink ayahuasca. Uh, when was or it? Yahe, actually, I should say yeah, Yahe. Yeah. When was it? Um, the well, the first time I ever drank uh was in 2021. 2021. So, uh, first of all, I'm uh, really happy you mentioning ayahuasca in Colombia. Like our website actually still is ayahuascaincolombia.com because when I first started uh, working with the um, with ayahuasca myself, I I was surprised that I was already living in Colombia, but I was thinking like I need to go to Peru to drink ayahuasca because it's a, it's a Peruvian thing. But because because in Colombia it has a different name, as you mentioned, uh, yahe or jahe, it's um, uh, I think I think it was basically not known by a large republic. So I do believe Colombian ayahuasca is um, as good as if not even better than Peruvian, and it's it's kind of cool that you ended up in Colombia and. Um, yeah, so you basically started working with medicine. You did um, how many ceremonies have you done uh, so far? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I've done a I've done a fair bit. I've probably done about six. Okay, so when uh, when did you start feeling the relief? Oh, immediately. Yeah, uh, I I felt like immediate relief. Um, I don't, and one of the problems, one of the difficulties I have trying to explain this to other people is the fact that um, it sounds too good to be true and we're conditioned, excuse me, um, we're conditioned to believe that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And, you know, it sounds like everything that happened to me was, was miraculous, which, you know, it really was nothing short than miraculous, but yeah, like it does sound impossible and it does sound too good to be true, but like overnight, like my drinking, my, my drinking problem, my, my opioid addiction, my, um, all the things that were messing with me from a PTSD standpoint, um, all of that seemed to, to go away like overnight. But, you know, again, and we kind of talked about this before the call, I think that the biggest thing that most people well, let me say it this way. The biggest one of the mistakes I made going was the idea that um that if I drank this tea that it would solve all my problems. That's not how it works. Um drinking the tea shows you the solution to the problem. And then you have the work to do, which you pointed out uh beforehand. It's the integration that we all do after the after the ceremony that counts. And so, but I started to feel immediate relief, but I just had a lot of work to do after that. So um, given that, um, you know, I, I've met a lot of people who've done many, many ceremonies 
you know, in the tens of them and uh, some of them still struggle with the problems they're, they're dealing with. So this is why as when we started speaking, I was immediately uh, wondering what, what have you done differently? Because obviously you did something right with the integration uh, to, to actually like have, have a, have a long-term um, lasting effect. So can you share something a little bit in uh, what, what, what it looked like for you or any, any specific routines or just uh, ways of thinking? Yeah, um, I'll tell you, like, one of the big things that happened to me was, um, I think I I probably wrote down in my journal that night, um, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 25 uh, people that I needed to go and apologize to and make amends. And, and I thought that those relationships were okay before ceremony, but in ceremony, I saw that they weren't, that I still had, you know, some energy to clean up. And then I think that the biggest thing really is like... Um, finding a spiritual practice. Um, you know, I began to study breath work and meditation and, um, you know, can connect to my version of the higher power and like really truly try to understand who, you know, what that was versus just saying it in AA. Uh, so, you know, there was just a lot of work and, 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 you know, this is, you know, as well as I do, but one of the things, one of the beautiful things about um, a ceremonial dose of psychedelics, uh, specifically ayahuasca, is that um, we end up um, getting neuroplasticity for 30 days following ceremony. So all of those things that feel impossible before ceremony um, become um, achievable after ceremony. So it's easier to do the work. Yeah, I love I love what you say because um, believe it or not, this is exactly the same things I tell to people uh, when we finish the retreat in our very last award circle. I talk to people and I tell them, you know, the the work begins now, and you have the the flexibility. And if you yeah. choose good habits, as you said, spiritual practice, they will stick. Uh, but if you go to bad habits, they will stick even so much stronger. So. Yeah, this is um, this is the good one. So uh, after you've done ayahuasca, were you still going to AA meetings, or you mm -hmm. stopped? I stopped. Yeah, I always felt like AA was just um, group forced abstinence. It didn't really solve the problem. But by doing ayahuasca, I feel like it. One of the other advantages is it releases the trauma and the negative energy. It, to me, it's almost like an energetic reset button, and so. You still have the work to do, but in some respects, you're not being um, troubled by those extreme challenges, you know, the stream of emotions. Mm -hmm. And so from that respect, um, yeah, I, I stopped going to AA, I stopped going to counseling. I got off all of my antidepressants. There's, you know, now it's just spiritual practice. Nice. Uh, I've never been to AA myself, never, neither I had alcohol problems, but we have a lot of people that come to our retreats, whether dealing with uh, PTSD or also sometimes just alcoholism. And uh, they they see a lot of parallels because at our retreats, we have word circles where people share after every ceremony. And uh, a lot of people say it's somewhat similar to AA meetings. So I guess AA would start pro properly working if they add some ayahuasca to it. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe someday along when the legislation. Moves. Well, truthfully, I don't know if you know this, but the founder of AA, um, Bill W., he um, much later in life after he started it, did his first LSD journey and he was convinced that it was the answer. So 
even yeah. the founder agrees that psychedelics are the way i've heard that uh, i've heard that story i think in, in one of the books uh maybe how to change your mind one mm -hmm. of the books on psychedelics we just need one more a in the aa make it triple a yeah just add ayahuasca to it that would be a notable goal for somebody maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you're uh, working uh, AA high ranks or legislation, uh, let's uh, let's partner up. We'll uh, make some make some big change. So, um, I also like the way you described the way the medicine worked for you. So it's not the, that magic pill where you take it and all your problems go away magically. It is. It does show you how what to do with your life, and then you need to do the homework. Uh, the way I, I personally came into the medicine uh, about four years ago when I started drinking it uh, because of the depression. I I don't think I have PTSD. I had some minor childhood trauma and just generally just not, not the best um, life conditions growing up. But um, what it did for me, it, it first it took away the pain and then showed me the direction. So I, I, you describe it uh, in a very similar way. Um, which just makes me happy. So I'm not I'm not the only one who thinks that way. So you said you, um, after working with medicine and getting this relief, you became an advocate for for ayahuasca. And um, I'm assuming you you want other veterans to work with it as well. And it's um, uh, I find it challenging to in some groups of people. You know, <clears throat> at our retreat, for example. What we're trying to do is uh, lower the barrier of entry to ayahuasca. Means you know, lower having reasonable prices, uh, choosing the language that is understandable by most people. Because I think it's uh, pretty conflicting for most veterans to to go to those retreats where like everyone is wearing white and they have hats with feathers and all that kind of stuff. Like you know, sort of new age spirituality. How would you go go ahead and? What would what would your language be in trying to talk to other veterans with PTSD to 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 encourage them to work with ayahuasca? Um, I think that just the biggest thing that I could tell you is that unfortunately we've all been lied to um, about psychedelics. Um, you know, MDMA, LSD, cannabis, peyote ayahuasca, psilocybin, um, but, you know, spe specifically like LSD, psilocybin, um, you know, and cannabis, they have, you know, they have such uh, bad reputations from 50 years of propaganda. I mean, our federal government has, you know, they sent in teams of police under the D.A.R.E. program into every single high school for the past 50 years to try to, you know, convince us all that these you know these drugs quote-unquote drugs um are harmful and dangerous and addictive and if you do them one time you're gonna wind up in an alley you know with a needle in your arm and that just couldn't be further from the truth in fact uh the u.s policy for a schedule one narcotic is it has to meet three criteria it has to be um easily addictive uh something you could easily become addicted to something that could be fatal if taken in the wrong amount and offer no medicinal value. If it doesn't meet those three criteria, it shouldn't be on the list. Yet psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD are all on that list as a Schedule one narcotic, and yet they don't meet any of the criteria. They're not addictive. 
Uh, well, cannabis can be if you use it too much, but psilocybin, no, ayahuasca, no, LSD, no, they're not addictive. There's no, you know, and as you know, there's no known recorded deaths ever from cannabis or psilocybin. Even ayahuasca, there have been deaths in those ceremonies, as you know, but that's usually because somebody lied and didn't tell the, you know, the shamans and the titans and facilitators about what medicines they were actually on. It wasn't the ayahuasca. It was, you know, it was a lie and hiding other medicines that caused the death. Um, but yeah, and they all offer medicinal value. They all heal. They all cure. They all bring us closer to God. So essentially, like I find the biggest resistance is in trying to explain to people that they've been lied to and conditioned to believe in something that is, is just not true. Yeah, this is very true. You need to, there needs to be like a, an informational campaign and uh, to slowly change people's minds. Uh, I would, you know, I would hope that maybe this podcast will be heard by a few people and other uh, content that um, that is being created. And I think that there does feel to be this change, gradual change now in people's minds. So it's funny that you mentioned, you know, um, addictive uh, like how how the class one drug should be specified and that neither ayahuasca or some other psychedelics they don't really uh, fit that criteria and it's like um, what I like to explain to people is you know it's been a medicine for 5,000 years it's only been called a drug for the last 50 years and it seems pretty clear to me why um, where it comes from and how it ties into politics and and, and uh, stuff like that so I, I, I can tell you my version, which I'm sure is pretty similar to your, but uh, I'd like you to um, try and describe why do you think government is so afraid of uh, psychedelics? Well, I think uh, I'm, I'm probably agree with you, um, but my opinion is, is um, because once you do the psychedelics, you begin to see um the governments and other organizations for what they are, which are, um, you know, they're, they're generally after control. And so when you do psychedelics, they lose their control over you, um, at least mentally. I mean, there's still the institutions that we have to live within, but um, it, it causes a spiritual awakening and a spiritual awakening is really hard for the government to get their, you know, to get behind or to support. They don't, they don't want you awake. Yeah, they feel threatened, rightfully so, because um, when you do psychedelics, for example, when you do ayahuasca, one of the first realization that comes to mind is that we're all connected and, you know, hurting another person is like cutting your own finger. So this is really counterproductive when you're trying to fight wars, mostly that that are paid for, and you know, that make a lot of money to a lot of powerful people. So, of course, they feel threatened and they... Because what happened in, when, when the LSD was outlawed is the, the, the Vietnam War was happening and people didn't want to go fight that war anymore or, or work in big corporations. And uh, yeah, like from, from one point of view, it um, it's all pretty clear once you start thinking about it. But also we need to somehow find a way to to gradually change, uh, change our society because like if, if one day nobody wants to work then then we're also in trouble so mm -hmm. and um you mentioned something about um deaths uh, that have to do with ayahuasca 
I've heard about few cases um, and uh, what what caused them. And as as you said, so ayahuasca um, is is a very legal, med uh, sorry, very safe medicine because it's been used for for a long time. And you know, in the jungle, you have kids drink it, and many generations of people drink it. But it but it used to be completely safe because there was no other medications that people were taking. So and and mm. as you probably know. In preparation to any retreat, um, the, uh, they always say, you know, the the SSRI antidepressants, for example, they can be they can be deadly. And uh, some people, because they're maybe so desperate or they they don't believe that the rules have uh, have reason to to exist, so they 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 lie about it, and yeah, it can cause the serotonin syndrome and um, and hypothetically a heart attack, and then <clears throat> a person can die. Another another cause that 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 have happened before is um, when you get a a person that drinks alcohol and they also consume cocaine. They they learn that uh, if you snore some cocaine, it makes you sober. So when they go into those deep uh, crevices of their subconscious on ayahuasca and they get scared with uh, stuff that's that comes up they remember oh i can just do some cocaine and get out of it and unfortunately that combination can also be deadly so yeah, yeah. The, and then they blame the, the the messenger there was this interesting story here in colombia uh, like half a year ago that there was a couple that did ayahuasca and then a few days later they they went uh, to another city in colombia and then they were found dead somehow in the news they managed to connect the death to ayahuasca even though, even though it was days later and they it was already completely out of their system so yeah it's just, that's uh, yeah unfortunate they always try to blame blame the ayahuasca when possible or psychedelics in general so um yeah what um yeah what what would your words be to let's say somebody who is on that side and they say, you know, um, let's say there's a veteran uh, friend of yours and he's um, struggling with the same issues you were struggling with and you want to tell them, go uh, go do ayahuasca and they say, no, it's just a drug. Like, what, what would you tell them in the quick summary? Um, I, I would actually uh, send them, I usually send people some really good articles, uh, especially some of the stuff that came out of Johns Hopkins um, and some of the more prestigious, uh, you know, public uh, that I, I've saved over the years um, and say, look, you know, read for yourself. I actually am a big fan of um, uh, the like you mentioned, the book and the documentary, How to Change Your Mind. I enjoy sending them. You know, there's another one called Fantastic Fungi, mm -hmm. How to Change Your Mind. There's a there's a number of uh, really good documentaries out there and podcasts. And so. If if people are willing to, you know, like do a little bit of the research after I've told them, then they usually get at least curious, more curious at that point. Mm -hmm. So what I noticed the, this process to be is um, you plant a seed with people and uh, get them curious. Yeah. And then after a few years later, when when they get in a particularly difficult situation, then they might remember your words and then be like, you know, what, what do I have to lose? Especially like. If somebody sort of with the gun in their mouth, which is very common with veterans, as you uh, as you probably know, then like what else do you have to lose? Uh, yeah, it sounds kind of dangerous, you know, going to to a foreign country and uh, drinking uh, this uh, 
strong psychedelic jungle juice and um but then like what 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 do you have to lose right so um yeah the i believe the the education is the key in spreading the word and hopefully we're doing that uh, right now slowly but surely you know as um as people um start um to open their minds so um yeah i think uh, that covers it pretty nicely i i wanted to talk a little bit about um our the veteran program that that we're we're sort of planning to start here at Loira and basically uh, since I mentioned the suicide problem, we do get two, three veterans every month that come through our retreats, and a lot of them get good relief. And you can find uh, their my podcast episodes with uh, some of them as well here in this uh, podcast. But uh, that's still nowhere near enough to to make a dent. So there's uh, the statistics. The gruesome statistics is that 22 veterans kill themselves every day, and uh, our plan is to eventually be able to organize veteran-only retreats when we'll get 22 veterans all together. And I think it will be easier for veterans to share with other veterans. You know, you have common language and uh, there will be less, um, you know, stigma and stuff like that. So um, meanwhile, you know, we're just going to work with what we got. But uh, my plan is to eventually be able to, to do that and then maybe partner up with some organization and have them support the veterans financially to um, to to be able to afford uh, the experience you know our our retreats are very affordable but still you need to fly fly over here and to be able to do it legally here in uh, colombia and hopefully meanwhile you know the, the legislation also changes and you get uh, more retreats opening up and less stigma on on the subject um so um matthew um uh, any any anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up uh just thank you again uh, uh express my gratitude for you and for the work you're doing and um also to the veterans out there um you know you can look me up on linkedin or facebook or whatever if you need uh if you want to talk about it um like i said i'm an advocate i'm the uh, representative for hippie and a veteran here in utah uh, which we we work on trying to change these laws, and so, yeah. Um, if you if if you if you hear it, if you feel it, you'll know it when ayahuasca is calling to you. So follow that uh, prompting and 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 find your way to an ayahuasca retreat. Yeah, guys, if you're listening to this episode, maybe you're already getting your calling. So uh, take it seriously. I'm gonna put Matthew's uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, link to Matthew's LinkedIn to the to the show notes so you can find them and uh, ask him for advice. Uh, and Matthew, thank you so much for coming. Uh, you know it's um, it's an important work you're doing by spreading the word as well. And uh, someday maybe you will get you uh, to come to to visit us here at Lawire as well, since you're already like uh, like Jahe. And yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you in the next episode of uh, Ayahuasca Podcast.